Well, good morning. Uh, I just want to share a little bit of a testimony. We um, talked about casting the net. And uh, it's funny because when we started the church a while back, um, very early on, of course, my family, they live in San Diego. They wanted to uh, support me and they love me and, you know, the ministry. So they all came up on a Saturday night. We used to meet at Saturday nights uh, in the Wesleyan Church. And and at that time, I was like the full-time worship leader uh, with the great band. And and it was funny because uh, I didn't tell them that I led worship. They didn't know I sang. They didn't know I played the guitar, really. <laughs> Nada. And so it was funny because, you know, they were all sitting there and get there early. And then, you know, they expect me to, to do what, this part of it, right? But it was so funny when I picked up the guitar and, I, and, and suddenly I see my family members, you know, they kind of do this. Like, <laughs> see about the play? See about to sing? You know what I mean? Uh, and it, it, it's been a journey. Just so you know, um, I was a, a high school director back in Oceanside in the late 90s, and uh, we had a great group of students, um, but we didn't have any worship. And I was like, Lord, Lord, um, I would love to have worship, you know, and I'd been part of other churches that had great uh, youth bands and everything like that, and uh, praying, 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 and then the Lord's like, well, why don't you learn? <laughs> what? I play sports. I don't play instruments. Um, and so, uh, you know, okay, and picked up, went to Guitar Center in Oceanside, picked up a cheapy used guitar, had this much knowledge of how to play, and, you know, did this whole thing, got the calluses, got my fingers hurting, and, and then, you know, then it's like, then you got to sing. What? You know, I never sang, you know, that was like the, the shower singer. Um, and it was just one of those things that, that God opened the door. Uh, I didn't know. I had not something I'd done growing up much at all zero. I played the piano, actually. I took piano lessons, so I'm more of a keyboard piano player, but never guitar, never singing. And so uh, I share that story with you because sometimes you might have gifts and talents that you don't know you have. And through involvement in a church ministry, whether, you know, Jordan starts a youth band down the road and for teens to develop their musical talents here in the church capacity, what a great, what a great opportunity, right, to play regularly and minister to teens in the valley, the gifts that God's given you. Um, but there may be someone here, someone at home, and, and maybe you've, you've toyed with it. Maybe you actually are musically inclined, um, and you just never have had an opportunity um, to explore it. And I really mean explore it. When, 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 you know, I felt like God was like, well, why don't you learn? And why It was just a few, full exploration. I have no idea that we're going to end up here and this and this. And, and sometimes that's why I, I and, and it's honestly, I still giggle. Like doing this whole thing, we got the band, we got this, we got this, and this. And sometimes I'm like, Lord, you are hilarious. You are hilarious. There's no way if you would ask me as a junior or senior in high school, hey, you know, if they would have told me, hey, one day you're going to be leading a band at, at a church live stream, I would have been like, you're crazy, man. You're absolutely crazy. So, so sometimes God uses gifts. He, he develops gifts. He, he takes you in places in your life. And, and you look back and you're like, only God. How many of you look back in your life? Only God, all right? Like the things you do where he's... So I, I share that with you, just kind of a testimonial about uh, casting the net. And it's not just worship. It's, it's really all the ministries here. We encourage you to uh, just explore. Don't be afraid. We're, we're not afraid around here, I, I share with people. We're not afraid to try things. And if it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul. You're still gifted. We're just in the process of developing it and and identifying it and getting you where you need to be. Sometimes, you know, there's this thing in our culture. It's like fear of failure. I got to be perfect or I got to get it right the first time. Who says? You know, it's a process. Um, What we want to do is to try to get you actively participating, engaged. And again, you've been given gifts and talents. You already have. Um, Some of you are aware of them. Some of you, it might take some opportunity and some instruction and some um, encouragement, that's okay. Give it a shot. Um, so there's worship, there's all the ministries around here. Uh, talk to us. We, just, we, we have a responsibility. Part of our shepherding is not to say, okay, come on Sunday and watch the show. That's not church. The church is the people, and really our, our responsibility as shepherds is to say, okay, if God has called you to this church family, where does he want you to use your gifts to benefit everyone? Amen? That's the big we. That's the big we around here. So I just kind of want to contextualize that, but also share a little testimony that sometimes 
you never know where you're going to end up, okay? And so this morning, we're going to continue looking at Philippians and uh, Philippians 121 and, and beyond. But uh, it made me think of a movie that I came across years ago called The End of the Spear. And some of you may be familiar with The End of the Spear. It's about five missionaries uh, who had a heart to reach a tribe in the tropical forest of eastern Ecuador. Jim Elliott, some of you may be familiar with Jim Elliott and the Akas, right? Uh, share a little bit of story. There's Jim. He's in the middle. And uh, four other dear brothers in the Lord, right? His story goes like this. In 1955, Jim Elliott was one of five young men, all under the age of 35, gathered in Ecuador with a vision of reaching a tribe of Indians called the Akas. The word means savage, a name given to them by other tribes, who lived deep in the rainforest. No one had ever presented the gospel to them. These five missionaries, all highly trained and deeply devoted to God, began praying about ways to make contact. In September, they began flying over an Aka village, lowering a pot containing gifts for the Indians. Eventually, the Akas took the gifts and replaced them with simple gifts of their own. In January 1956, the five men decided the time had come to make contact in person. After much prayer, they established a base camp on a sandy beach of the Karare River. On January 8, 1956, at about 3.30 p.m., they were speared to death by the Indians who mistakenly thought they had come to hurt them. The news shocked the world. Many people wondered how young men with so much promise could waste their lives that way. When the journals of Jim Elliott were published several years later, they were found to contain this sentence. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And one of the most, uh, you can keep that up for a bit. One of the most powerful parts of the movie was uh, when they were discussing uh, and the movie is, is told by one of the, the sons of one of the, Nick Saint, one of the sons of the men who were uh, martyred or killed. Um, and so they said that they were bringing rifles, but they had decided beforehand that if they were attacked, all five of them decided they would not shoot the Akas. And they said, why? And they said, because we're ready for heaven and they're not. powerful perspective they had rifles in the plane they chose not to use them why because they knew because of their faith in jesus they were ready for heaven and the akas weren't he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose see that's the perspective that Jim Elliott had on life and eternity. And that perspective had implications. He, he, was, he was called out to live that perspective in a very real way, to lay down his life. And it's amazing as you watch that movie, and I encourage you to watch it. It's a powerful movie. Uh, the gospel eventually goes into that tribe. The wives go into the tribe. The tribal members get saved. It is, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal testimony to the power of the gospel and the transformation of the gospel and the relationships that are built uh, with the wives, with the, some of the men that actually killed their husbands, and, and just an incredible story. And I share that, that statement, right? He is no fool, who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose because it, it, it's so similar in many ways, very, very contemporary uh, example of what Paul said in Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Perspective. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In the uh, literal translation, it says, for to me, to live, it doesn't have the word is, so it's for me to live Christ and to die gain, right? And we talked about this last 
Sunday that it's live Christ. That for Paul, Christ was now the hub, the essence, right? The very foundation, the, the greatest satisfaction and gave purpose and meaning to Paul's life was Christ. Just live Christ, right? Uh, quote says, to live Christ means that Christ is our focus, our goal, and our chief desire. Christ is the center point of our mind, heart, body, and soul. Everything that we do, we do for Christ's glory. I brought up the, the bicycle wheel last Sunday and, and said, you know, what's in the hub of your life? If all the spokes represent all the various components of your life, who or what is really the hub, right? In fact, we put up this, this slide as, a, as an exercise last Sunday. It says, for me to live is blank. And everyone in here has something in that blank, Everyone, right? And if you're wondering what it was, well, just think back the last seven days. Where did you spend your time, your money, your energy, your priorities, most of your thoughts, right? Your life reveals what's in the blank. You can't say it's blank. It, it, it is something, right? And, and I was talking with somebody uh, afterwards, and, and really, in the broadest sense, in the culture we live in, uh, for me to live is me, I'm the hub. Isn't that how I was raised? That everything, I'm the hub and everything revolves around me. My desires, my convenience, my, 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 me, 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 my, 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 mine, right? And, and it's very challenging because this idea that for me to live as me has come into the church. And I shared that with you. That's why churches, you know, we, you know, in the pastoral world, we call it sheep transfer, Right? The, 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 the believers tend to go and they, they hunt for churches that meet me, my needs. You know, the, the facility, the air conditioning. You know, it was so funny because as Bill was speaking about, where was that where you walked six hours? In Africa, right? Yeah. Africa. And he's describing this, the, 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 the church and the stadium seating. And then he describes the length. You all should have seen your faces. <laughs> You all outed yourself. As much as you did not want to go, oh my goodness, I could never. Some of you were like, praise the Lord for 1290 Grand Avenue. Right? And, and, and it's that situation where, okay, wait. Would I walk six hours? Would I sit on a mound? Stadium seating carved out. How does that meet my needs? Right? And so we, we, we just ask, ask yourself to point of reflection the past seven days for me to live has been what? The, the pandemic? Is that what's dominating? How you feel about the vaccines and the masks? Is that for me to live? Is that my political party? My job situation? My relationships, my health, my finances, what? For me to live is what? Has been what? Because there is a what. The blank is not empty. It could be several things, but the truth is the, there is something in the blank. There's something in my blank. There's something in your blank. Now, we all would like to say for me to live is Christ, and I'm not saying that some of you aren't there. But if we're going to really take to heart what Paul is saying here, what do you want, what the Lord, I believe, wants to say, we got to have moments of just... Gut level honesty and transparency. Yeah, for me to live, you know, honestly, I didn't even read my Bible this week. I can't even think I prayed. Did I pray? Bill, did I pray this week? Oh, wait, yeah, I prayed with you, right? Because it's part of my job once, right? What if we're honest? The past seven days, for me to live has been what? Right? And, and, and it's not meant to, like, beat you down. It's meant to say, oh, wait. How do I get to for me to live as Christ? And, and, and that's kind of like where we were, and that's the challenge. It's a continuing challenge, right? For me to live as Christ, what does that mean? And what is the joy when you, when you get to that place and Christ is the hub, and now you're a better husband, you're a better dad, you're a better employee, you handle your money differently, you handle your time differently, you, you minister differently. Why? Because it's all coming out of Christ, amen? Right? You benefit. 
It's so funny when I say put Christ as a center, some of us wrestle with that because we think we're going to lose something if we put Jesus in the center. And the truth is, because you've been given everything you need for life and godliness, you've given the power of the Holy Spirit, when you put Christ in the center of your life, you have that abundant life. Amen? Because now everything is centered, the hub is Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's going out. That's going out. But for many of us, it's Jesus plus, or it's, it's, it's money plus Jesus. It's my job plus the church. It, it, Christ or the church or your Christianity is just an add-on. It's not really the hub. And so you, you got you to gotta spend the time, right? The, this, what we talked about last Sunday, what we're talking about this Sunday, I told the leadership team. You know, some of the, these truths, the challenging part for me is that there's a simplicity to it for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's, it's like short. But really what you need to do is, is take a walk on Shelf Road. Or maybe you need to start at the bottom of Sulphur Mountain, go all the way up, and then all the way back down, and ponder life. Walk with the Lord. Go to the river bottom. You just need to turn off the TV, turn off the phones, and you just need to go, Lord, honestly, for me to live is what? What has it been? I know I've been going to church, but has it really been Christ? Right? So we, I encourage you to keep working through this. And today we're going to keep moving. We're just going to get, it's crazy. We're going to get past the comma in Philippians 1.21. So it says this, for me to live is Christ, comma. So that was last. Now after the comma, and to die is gain. Hmm. Now, I want to encourage you, if you've ever said, I would love to have a memory verse, maybe a life verse, right there. If you want a memory verse, maybe for the, a, a year, five years, ten years, maybe for a month, here, that right there. Start with that verse for your life. Memorize it, chew on it, backwards, forwards, study it. That right there radically change your eternal destiny, maybe, if you're not a believer. Um, but if you're a believer, if you want a memory verse, right there. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To die is gain? See that? That right there, that, that's a mouthful. To die is gain. Well, probably depends on who you ask. Because if you ask the world, very few of them would say to die is gain. Right? Right? In fact, I look back at what, being raised and, and not knowing Christ and, and kind of typical middle-class American, want to you know, follow the American dream. So if you ask me, for me to live is to live as long as I can on this planet and to put off death as long as I can. That verse right there is completely opposite of my view of life and death. Again, before I knew Christ, for me is to live as long as I can and to not die for as long as I can. That was, right? Or for to me, to live is me and to die is horrible because it's the end of me. It's still about me. So before I knew Christ, for to me, to live is me, and to die is the end of me. So along comes Paul, and he says, hey, I got a perspective way out here, kind of outer space, looking at life from a real big perspective. To me, to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? Usually the world sees death as an end. Generally, even in the church, if you're not good on your theology, many of you still are viewing death as an end. It's not really an end, right? And this is where every believer is a theologian. And that theology, your biblical understanding and appropriation of biblical truth regarding death and eternity plays out. Because, and I'm not minimizing death at all. I've experienced it and, and I understand the grief behind it. But what I'm talking about is your perspective from a biblical perspective on death, because there's still a lot of believers, and I'm very sensitive to this, who love Jesus. You know your name is written in the book of life, but you're still scared of dying. 
because you still see it as an end. You haven't really taken the time to, to embrace biblical truth to where you could say with Paul, to die is gain. And it might be because many of us are believers. Honestly, we're still stuck with the stuff of this world. We're still in accumulation mode and we're still in, in comfort mode and we still are pursuing our dreams and, our, and, 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 and death now just seems like a big interruption to my plans, even as a Christian. And so why, this is why I said this, 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 this is like the, the long walk verse. This is that you got you to get away and you got to really let God speak to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Because they're related. If, if you don't understand what for me to live is blank and to die is blank, they're, they're, let, me, let me give you some examples of how they're related. To me, to live is wealth and accumulation of material things. To die is to leave it all behind. To me, to live is to be popular, achieve great things, and to die is to be forgotten. To me, to live is pleasure, and to die is to miss all the fun. Those are the blanks of a lot of people, right? And so along comes Paul, and he says, for to me, to live is Christ. And with Christ there, death is gain, there's, there's a power, power in that. There's a joy. There's a victory in that, right? And so for Paul, death is not an exit from living. It's an entrance. It's a gain. Death is not a loss. It's a gain to Paul, right? You can't miss that. To die is gain. Many of us still equate death with loss. It's a gain, right? It's kind of like uh, I was thinking uh, high school graduation, College graduation, right? What do, the, what do many of the uh, speakers or the principals really say? Students, today is not the end. It's the beginning of a new chapter, right? So some things get left behind. Middle school, yay, glad no more, you know, all that stuff. High school. But it's not the end. It's a launching point. See, many of us, even in the church as believers, we don't see death as graduation, we still see it as the end, not the mark of a brand new start. Bigger and better start, right? But you got to take the time to really think about that because the word gain, right, it's a financial term and it really talks about profit. Profit and an investment, what's in the profit column, what's to your advantage, right? And there's two aspects. When he says to die is gain, there's two aspects. And, and you'll hear about this in just a little bit. There's the no more and there's the more. So if you're going to understand why death, biblically, as a believer, is gain, there's the no mores and the more. And I'm going to let our brother Bill kind of expand on that. So there's two aspects. You gain because of the no mores and you gain because of the mores. Okay? And so what we're going to do yeah, as I was thinking about this, I was like, you know what? I really would love the church family to really understand some biblical teaching on heaven. Why is it gain? What's the more, right? Because here's the thing. Many believers still have never studied heaven biblically. And so when we say, hey, when you die, you go to heaven, it's like, because, again, because you've never studied it, many still believe that heaven is the never-ending church service. Heaven is the church service that never ends. Right? Sound, sounds good to some, but for others, you are bored already. You're like, oh my gosh, I'll take four hours. Heaven, heaven, you mean God and singing and, and, and fellowshipping forever without end, right? And, and yet, is that a good thing? Have you, have you thought about that? Or some of you are still like, I'm wearing a white robe with a harp floating on clouds forever. And that's heaven, right? Isn't that heaven? So, Barry, here's the deal, man. Me and you, robes, harps, never-ending church service. You in, bro? Right? 
Some of you are like, what? Because you don't understand what the Bible teaches about heaven. So you don't know what you're looking, you don't know what you're going to get, what the mores are, right? And here's the other challenge. And this one probably applies more to us in Ojai and the United States church than the African church, carved out a hill church. When I say you get more, our challenge is that we already live in more land. We live in comfort. So someone who is living at a subsistence level today at this very moment, walking hours to church, not knowing if they're going to eat, not knowing if they might even survive based on the political health issues. There are believers in, in, in the planet right now, this very second, if I say to die is gain, they're like, I can't wait. Because my daily life, I'm just living one day at a time. When we go to more land and I say, hey, going to heaven, you're like, but I just bought my new car. I, it's not... It's not even broken in. I don't, we just moved. I just ordered new furniture. You mean I'm going to heaven before the furniture arrives? <laughs> like, but we have a party. We have a party to go to. You, you mean I might, you might, Jesus might come back and rapture us before the barbecue? <laughs> oh my gosh. Can he wait? You see, because we live in more land, and me land, heaven, which is about him land, H-I-M, it's, it, there's a deep conflict. There's a deep conflict. It's like, hey man, you know Jesus might come back before tomorrow night. Oh really? But the Raiders are playing the Chargers. I wanted to watch that game. You fill in the blank with like, what your more land is because for some of us we've never studied heaven so we don't know biblically what the more is and for some of us we're still kind of living in more and me land that when i talk about heaven it doesn't really light your fire because you kind of got heaven on earth because you live in ojai right isn't that why people move to ojai to get away from the big bad city and you've arrived here and it's a beautiful small town and, and da, 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 we kind of got heaven on earth here and so when you talk about heaven when you're like eh, you know and so what i asked is i asked our brother bill elder bill who has taught a heaven series over the last several years twice it's a several week long series uh one of our most popular uh biblical teaching series on heaven and people have been able to ask great questions are there pets in heaven can they see us in heaven you know those types of questions that people ask but what i asked him to do is come and speak to us because the apostle paul says to die is gain so what do we gain well if we're going to appreciate the gain we better appreciate heaven so come on up bill i appreciate the uh the setup, uh, so you can transport yourself right now if you'd like to, uh, to an African setting, because we're probably going to be here for a while. <laughs> so, so the real question is, why did Paul say uh, that to die is gain? Why? Because he doesn't elaborate, right? Why did he say to die is gain? Well, he said to die is gain. Really, there's a one-word answer for that. Heaven. Heaven, and I appreciate the missionary um, uh, story this morning uh, because uh, as, a, as a sidebar, it was really interesting. Uh, when I was doing missionary flying, um, I had the opportunity uh, to work with Missionary Aviation Fellowship, who, by the way, took the airplane that they landed on the beach in the Amazon that the Indians threw into the river, and it was a cloth-covered airplane, by the way, because this was the 1950s, after all, a two-seater airplane. And years later, they went back and they recovered the remnants of that airplane, and the remnants of that airplane are sitting in Idaho right now at the headquarters for MAF with a display uh, and because that just gets to the essence of what missionary aviation is all about, sharing a heavenly perspective with people that weren't ready, right? So what's the, what's the gain? That's the real question. So what is the gain? Well, first, I think we have to take a look at this statement that Paul made, and we have to give it some context, right? Because he doesn't fill in any of those blanks, but he does elaborate on it 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So listen to what he says there. He describes a supernatural experience that he had. Paul does. He had a supernatural experience where he says that he was caught up into paradise, the word for heaven. He was caught up. That's the same word that is used elsewhere in Scripture that is referred to as rapture. That's the word. So somehow, supernaturally, Paul was caught up. He was raptured up into the heavenly realms. He says, whether in the body or not, I'm not sure. He didn't know because this was a supernatural experience that he had with God. So he went to heaven, and then he was there, and he heard and presumably saw things. And then he says that he was completely unable and not even permitted to describe what he saw and heard there. There were no human words available to him to give us a description of what God, the living God, showed him in this supernatural event that took place in his life. Wow. Because I live in a world of words. I like words to describe things. It helps me understand them, right? But the one thing that Paul definitely knew, even though he had no words to describe it, he knew exactly where he was going when he died. That's what God gave him. He gave him this perspective because he heard and saw things there that were beyond his, A, wildest imagination and his ability to even speak the words to describe it to us. So he didn't. That was his actual experience. So God allowed him a glimpse into the heavenly realms, and he was blown away, and he knew to die is gain, you see, because he knew that heaven is far better. Heaven is far better. He knew that for sure. Now, for us to understand to die is gain, God most likely, although he could, he most likely isn't going to take any one of us up into the heavenly realms supernaturally and show us Not that he couldn't, or not that he wouldn't, but it certainly wouldn't be normative. I mean, have any of you been to heaven and back? No, no. And it's really interesting because there's a lot of books that are written about that and YouTube channels where people said, I died and I went to heaven. I'm just such a big skeptic of that. (laughs) I just really am. Because biblically speaking, that's only happened a couple of times. But if you go to YouTube right now and you, and you, and you, you, you put that in the search bar, you will find... Hundreds of people will tell you about this experience they have, and almost all of them have one thing in common. Most of what they say isn't biblical. Isn't that interesting? So for us to understand this, we're probably not going to be granted a trip into heaven and back. Probably not. So we have to have a correct biblical worldview of the heavenly realms, right? Because heavenly realms is always centered on two things, the glory of God and our relationship personally with the Lord Jesus Christ for an eternity, according to Scripture in Philippians and 2 Corinthians both. So you see, in some ways, I think it was just so much easier for the Apostle Paul. It was so much easier for him than it is for us to understand that to die is gain. Not because of his supernatural trip into the heavenly realms that God showed him, not because of that, but because of the circumstances. You see, Paul, the apostle Paul, was serving the Lord, wasn't he? See, this is a man that was all in for Jesus, right? Read all through the New Testament and see that the apostle Paul, who was all in against the Lord Jesus, had a road to Damascus experience and went all in for Jesus. This is a man that was all in for Jesus. No question about it. And he was trusting God completely in his circumstance of being arrested and whipped, imprisoned, chained, beaten. This is the world that the Apostle Paul was living in. And now you can see that he says, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, I don't know. I've never been in prison. I've never been whipped. I've never been persecuted. I've never been, I've never been beaten for my faith. None of those things has happened. See, by contrast, as Richie said, see, we are just incredibly wealthy in this country, and I'm pretty content. I'm pretty content, which is why, and I appreciate the, the Africa story, because, you know, when you're around those people, they have nothing. They're worried about what they're going to eat today. They're concerned about what they're going to eat and if there's going to be anything to eat. And a four-hour church service for them is like, hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. You see, I think that's why we're instructed in Colossians 3.1 to set our hearts on the things above in the heavenly realms where Christ is seated with the heavenly Father. Amen? We're instructed to do that. In fact, it's a command. You see, because to gain means to obtain and secure. Obtain and secure something that is desirable or favorable. Desirable or favorable. That's what to gain means. So what in the world do we gain? Well, nothing in the world. We don't gain anything in the world. You see, the Bible has a lot to say about both the theology of heaven and the literal and practical things of heaven. All throughout the scriptures, we're told a lot about heaven. So, first the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that absent the body, present the Lord. You know what that means? The time you take your very last breath, you are going to be present with the Lord that very second in the present heaven. That's why he said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise because the thief on the cross said, you really are the son of God. See, he got it. And Jesus said, that's right. And today you're going to take your last breath. I'm paraphrasing, of course. You're going to take your last breath and you are going to be with me today in paradise, in heaven. And you know what, church? So are you. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are going to go to heaven the very last breath you take. See the gain? It even gets more practical than that. You see, because heaven in Scripture is presented to us both in the present tense and the future, because Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So in speaking about heaven, we have to be clear that there is a present heaven, and there aren't two heavens, the new heaven and the new earth. There's not two heavens. There is one heaven. The one heaven changes. When you die, you are going to go to the present heaven in the presence of the Lord. Woohoo! I mean, come on. There should be somebody jumping out of their seat for that. You see, in the new heaven and the new earth, it's a restoration project. It's redeeming, just like you've been redeemed. And so the new heaven and the new earth are going to come together. They're going to collide. They're going to come together. And after the present heaven, there is going to be this new heaven and this new earth it is going to change. It is going to be completely redeemed in finality. That will be it for an eternity. So the present heaven where you're going to go when you take your last breath, you see, it's a real place. And the Bible makes it clear that in, when we go there, it is going to be a real physical place. That's what scripture says, not what I say. And here's a cool thing. When we get there, there's going to be quite a reunion in heaven. Amen? Okay, so for those of you that know a little bit about heaven, you know that there's going to be quite a reunion when we get there. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says that we are going to recognize each other in heaven. And you know what the good news is? We're not going to recognize each other for what we look like. The Bible says we're going to recognize each other for who we are. That's awesome because you live in a sin-soaked world right now that has fallen. And the person that you are is not going to be completely revealed until you are in the heavenly realms. When you die, you're going to go to the present heaven and people are going to recognize you there for who you are. There will be no hidden things. I am so excited about that. You should be too, but you're awfully quiet. When we get to the present heaven, some of us, or maybe, we're not sure biblically, or maybe all of us are actually going to be aware of events that are happening on the earth. So you know those missionaries that were, that were killed? You see, there are martyrs in heaven that ask God, according to the scriptures, Lord, how long? See time? You hear time in that question? Lord, how long until, until you're going to avenge our, 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 our martyrdom? It hasn't happened yet, you see. And they're asking him. So a lot of people think there's no time in heaven. Well, you're wrong. There's time in heaven. But it's not the kind of time that we're used to with a clock, as you guys are going to start looking at shortly, because you're thinking that this is going to be a really long church service, right? It's a different kind of time. And here's some really, really good news. You see, we will be completely uninhibited by sin in heaven. 
nobody jumped out of your chair. We will be completely uninhibited by sin in heaven. Okay, I'm telling you that that is great news. It's the second greatest news to being in the presence of God for an eternity. That's the first best news. The second best news is we only know how to live in a sin-soaked world. We can't even grasp what it's going to be like outside of the presence of sin, can we? We're going to talk about that in the mores and in the no mores in just a second. You see, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said that that, that that new heaven and that new earth is such a spectacular place that there's the totality of which there are not words to describe. It's no wonder Scripture only gives us a small picture of what the heavenly realms are going to be like because God only gave us what he thought that we could handle because there's so much that we can't handle is beyond our capacity as we are so finite and he is infinite, right? And here's an example of what's hardly imaginable Just one quick reference. So the Bible says in the new heaven and new earth, there's going to be this city, and it's called the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is going to come down, and it's going to be a city. A city, one city, in the new heaven and the new earth. And then the Bible describes it in terms of its size. Listen to this. The city is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. That's not squared. Because if you take a 1,500-mile square city, that's about from here to Waco, Texas, and back. That's about 1,500 miles. And from, like, the Mexican border almost to the Canadian border. That's the size of one city, by the way. It says it has a wall around it. And then the scriptures say in Revolution, Revolution, Revelation, that it is 1,500 miles across and high. Now, I don't know about you, but I live in a flat world. No, the world isn't flat. It's round, but I'm, you know what I mean. Okay, so what's happening right now is, is that gravity is keeping me down here, and I can relate to 1,500 miles square, but I don't know what it's like to be 1,500 miles cubed. How are we going to live in a city that is 1,500 miles cubed? You're talking to an ex-pilot here who used to fly, and, you know, you can only go to, like, in an unpressurized airplane, you can only go to, like, 12,500 feet. In a pressurized, you go to about 40, 45,000 feet. Well, that's nothing. A mile is 5,280 feet. 1,500 miles cubed. The city is 1,500 miles high. I don't know what that means. How am I going to live in a city that's 1,500 miles high? I want to go, go visit Scotty, and, I, and Scotty is up you know, at mile 732 or something. I don't know. But it's hard to describe. But that's what Revelation says. Second Timothy says we're going to rule and reign with Christ in heaven. That means that there's going to be a little bit of work to do, but it won't be work like you think about work. Because you think about earthly work. This is going to be heavenly work. And we're going to receive crowns when we get to heaven. Every single person in heaven is going to get at least one crown because if you put your faith in Christ, you will have that crown when you get to heaven. You see, there are, there are degrees of reward in heaven, and those rewards are going to be not because you had to work your way to heaven. That is not... You never work your way to heaven. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, period. But then what you do with your gifts, Richie was talking about, hey, share your gifts, use your gifts. That's what the church is all about. Come on, guys, share your gifts. And then you're going to be rewarded in heaven based on what, what you did with what God gave you. So I think we've got to get to work in that relationship with the church, not in relationship with our salvation. Because you're saved by grace with faith in Jesus Christ alone. And you're not going to be married in heaven. Not like you think. Because you see, there's only one marriage in heaven. At the marriage feast of the Lamb, you see, we are the bride of Christ. And we will be in a covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus for an eternity, you see. The same kind of covenant, the same word, covenant relationship that he wants us to be in in our earthly relationships right now. So Jordan and Shiloh are married, and they're in a covenant relationship where they selflessly are concerned about their marriage partner, right? And when they're both selfishly acting out, the marriage is fractured. And when they are both completely unselfish, and caring about the other, and they're both doing that at the same time, that's, that's what covenant looks like. And we will be in that covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus forever. Pretty cool. 
but let's get practical because Richie mentioned the mores and the no mores. What does that look like? You see, because in heaven, which is what Paul was talking about as gain, let's talk about some real practical things that we can relate to because I don't know what a 1,500-mile high city is like. I don't know what that dimension is. But why did God tell us that a city, one city, the central city, in the heavenly realms is 1,500 miles cubed? Why did God reveal that to us in Scripture? Whoa. So that we would keep our hearts and our minds on the things above because that's a mind blower, isn't it? That's a mind blower. Because here's the thing that Scripture says that there are going to be more of in heaven. And I think you can, everybody in this room and listening online, I think you're going to be able to relate to this because here's what the Bible says that there's going to be more of in heaven. And this, by the way, is just a partial list. It's a partial list. There is going to be more music. Lynn. Can I get an amen, Lynn? Amen. Okay, there's going to be more music. There's going to be more food. There's going to be more exploration and travel. There is going to be a whole new cosmos that God puts together. He is going to redeem and make new all things. And you've heard that in the Hebrew, all always means all. He is going to redeem and make new all things. There's going to be more travel. There's going to be dwellings and rivers and mountains and reading and learning and growing. There's going to be, there's, yes, there are going to be animals. My wife always asks this because she's a cat person. You know, she's the oh, hi, crazy cat lady. And she says, are we going to have pets in heaven? Well, I don't know. So we're going to have animals in heaven. But wouldn't it be just like God to allow us to have pets? You should go to the Rollins household. The Rollins probably hope there's going to be pets in heaven, right? <laughs> Cats mostly, right? There are going to be animals in heaven and lots of them. It's going to be a place where there is righteousness and glory. It is going to be a place where there's more laughter, singing, leaping, dancing, individual uniqueness. You are going to be completely individually unique and have the same kind of fingerprint that you have right now that nobody on the planet else has. Your unique fingerprint. You will be unique in heaven just like you are now. There are going to be perfect relationships, victory, work, peace, joy, and mostly, hallelujah, love. All of those things there is going to be more of. You see, we have some of those things right now, but, but they are nothing compared to what they are going to be like in the heavenly realms because there's some no mores there too. Now, maybe you've thought about this. Maybe you haven't. Now, some of these are by implication, and some of these are actually directly related to, uh, to scriptures. But let's just take a real quick list of some of the no mores. There's going to be no more doors that lock in heaven. Amen? No more security cameras. Pastor Ty, there will be no more security cameras in heaven. Your phone will never go off with somebody that walks up to this door on a Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock. Which means that there won't be any keys. No key fobs for your car. Maybe no cars, I don't know. There will be no more keys. There's no more dishonesty. There's no more crime. There is no more deceit, theft, and there's no murder in heaven. Amen? These are no mores. These are practical, real no mores in heaven. See the game? This is the game that's coming. You see, there's no more being afraid either. Have you ever been afraid of everything, anything? There is no fear in heaven. None. It's gone. So those of you that haven't jumped out of a perfectly good airplane are going to be able to do that all you want. Come on, Richie. I've been trying for like 25 years to get him to jump out of an airplane. I don't know. When we get to heaven, it's the first thing we'll do, okay? There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no hate. There's no greed. And there's a, this is a great one. There is no more selfishness in heaven because I'm the most selfish person I know. And I'm looking forward to shaking that one. Amen? There's no more war. There's no Satan. There's no demons. There's no evil. They're not there. Those are no mores in heaven. There's no temptation. There's no doubt in heaven. None. There's no pain, no addiction, no pornography, no lust, no disease, no hospitals, no surgeries, no drugs, no vaccines, no masks, no wheelchairs, no glasses, no hearing aids, Brenda. None. They're gone. 
and there's no depression. There's no loneliness in heaven. There's no boredom. No, we will not sit on clouds with harps and white robes. You will not be bored. You are going to spend, and I am going to spend an eternity exploring without any thought of being bored ever. Amen? And there will be no broken relationships. You will not be hurt by anyone. You will not be disappointed by anyone. You will never be let down by anyone. Because there is no more sin. You see, the Bible promises, God promised us that the presence of sin is finally gone. Can I get an amen to that? And finally, there will be no more separation of any kind, none, no separation of any kind from God, because in heaven, God will physically live with us and walk with us. It's a picture, and Genesis was the foreshadow in the garden of God walking with us. He will be present with us. I don't know how many people are going to be in heaven, but presumably billions, I don't know. It's going to be a very, very, very big place. And there will be people who have put their faith in Jesus. They're the only ones that are going to be there. And God is going to be there living with us, walking with us, talking with us. Bring it on. Bring it on. on. And you see, church, that just scratches the surface because that, every bit of what I've said, is identified either in actual terms or alluded to in the word of God, the truth that we can take with us. Amen? Amen. So set your heights on heaven, because guys, these are but a few of the gains that Paul was talking about. So set your hearts and your minds and your thoughts on things above, because when you die, you don't die. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, there you go. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? When you, when you take the time, uh, uh, what it does is it begins to free you from the things of this earth. It really is freeing, and, and sometimes we, we become so encumbered and, 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 and burdened, and it may be over time and layers and layers and layers, and, you know, that's why, you know, it was, it was, it was funny to, to watch you speak these truths, and it's just like it took a while for all of us to catch up. Because you had to peel back layer after layer after layer of all the things, of the, the things that we set our minds on. Right? It's so challenging, and it took that long to get us to, to just do this. To just do this, because we have so many responsibilities, so many burdens, so many things we're dealing with. And, and that's the joy of just being able to just have this moment. And I want to encourage you. If something Bill has said has, has, has you know, kind of like spurred something in you, talk to him. You know, one of the things, it's, it's, it's funny. Why is it as believers, most of the time our conversations are about, you know, nothing wrong with prayer requests, but it's, they, they center around what's going wrong, what's broken, what, you know, the, 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 the trials and, and, and struggles of life. And how come so few of our discussions as, as, as believers are about heaven or about the things that, that really are, are eternal? Because that's encouraging. I was, I was very encouraged, you know, especially when you got to the, the idea of no broken relationships and, and no more pain and depression and addiction and, and, and right, that, that different level that we didn't, many of us, I'm guessing many of you did not even have any inkling of that's part of the more and the no more is that level. Most of us are thinking of like external things, right? Suddenly like, oh, wait, no more betrayal? I mean, I can just, that pit in, the, the, the pit in my stomach of, of self-protection and not wanting to be hurt again, I can actually let that go for eternity? 
See, see the challenging part of, of what you were, when you went to that layer was that many of us as believers, because of the brokenness and fallenness of this world, that's normative. And so suddenly you went there to this place that we just take for granted is normal, right? Isn't that just part of life, right? Many of us said, that's just life. Toughen up. That's just part of life, right? But that's only part of life on this planet. But we're not of this planet. We're, we're citizens of heaven. We're just a passing through, right? And, and that's why we need to have these times when you say to live is Christ, to die is gain. That, that's a liberation verse. It liberates you from the things of this planet. Not that they don't matter. Not that you shouldn't, you know, enjoy what you want to enjoy in your hobby. Yeah, but they don't become the thing. Because Bill just reminded us of the thing. <laughs> the true eternal thing. Heaven that matters, right? And so I want to encourage us that, that we can take the time and, and come all the way back. And then you go, okay, wait. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Now you know the no mores, the mores, right? You can chew on that. And then you go, well, how does that apply when I leave here? How does that apply when I leave here? Well, hopefully... Before you leave here in the time that we have left, you'll take the time to let it sink in. And you'll have lunch today different than you would have because today you're going to go to lunch as a believer who knows that to die is gain. See, that truth can radically set you free from the paradigm and the worldview and the thing that's been burdening you. You can go interact with people with this biblical conviction that no matter what happens to me today, to die is gain. Right? In, in Hebrews, they speak about Jesus becoming human for our benefit and, and, and you know, defeating Satan, the power of death and all that. And look at what he says in Hebrews 2.15 in the New Living. It says this. Only in this way, Jesus, could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. See, through faith in Christ, he, he came that we would put our faith in him, that we would know that we have eternal life. But the implication for the rest of our time on this planet, no more slavery to the fear of death. Woo! Now, we're not talking about going to do unreasonable things. We're just saying just as a general principle, as a believer, you wake up and you can let go of the fear of death. Because I don't know about you, but, but a lot of things in my life happen. And where I come from, that little by little, I realize there's things in my life that I put in place because of the fear of death, to, to prevent death. To, and I'm not saying you're not safe and reasonable on that. But what I'm saying is if you're not careful, many of us, it has become normative, even as believers, to fear death. And here's the thing. It affects your emotions and it affects your thoughts. It can affect your decision making. Because rather than living from the, from the biblical conviction that to die is gain, you're still living from the conviction that you should be scared of death. And that does color. Does color a whole lot. And so we need, to, we need to take time. And we need to really say, okay, let this sink in so how I live when I leave here. Before I leave here, my conversations, the conversations outside, the fellowship can be that much more sweet. Because now, as the church, as believers, you're surrounded by others who say, hey, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Right? And then it should inspire us to live the rest of our time on this planet for Christ and his glory. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul speaks about the resurrections. Right? The resurrection of Christ and our future resurrection bodies and all this. Right? And he says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So, here's the so. Here's the so for all of us. Today, tomorrow, the rest of our time on this planet. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. See, that's the practical, that's the so what. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the so what verse. For the rest of your time on this planet, live enthusiastically for the Lord. Right? Leave it all on the court. Leave it all on the court. Because when your time on the court, the earth is done, you're going to gain. You're going to gain. 
So leave it all here, right? Ray Stedman says this, when you go back to your work, do not see it as simply a way by which you, will, you earn your living. It has been given to you as an opportunity for you to have a ministry in which you witness. You demonstrate a changed life, a heart at peace, the radiant joy of fellowship with a living Lord on your face. And love pouring out of your heart to those who, like you, have struggled and lost frequently in the rat race of life. That is what God sent us out to do as Christians. What underlies that? Live as Christ, to die as gain. Everything now, you are Christ's ambassador. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear man. You just leave it all out there for Jesus. Right? And so, that's the encouragement to the church. Because remember, Paul was writing to the believers. Right? For those of you who, who are here or maybe listening at home, and, and maybe you don't know what would happen if you were to die today. Right? Well, you can know, and, and Bill mentioned it a few times, right? We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. It's through faith in Christ. You put your faith in Christ, to die is gain, right? I came across this, it was, it was, I thought it was pretty funny, a tombstone, apparently an epitaph from a cemetery in Indiana, says this, pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. An unknown passerby read those words and underneath scratched this reply. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> That's biblical, right? Right? I would ask the question, like, follow you? <laughs> Is that the up elevator or the down elevator? I don't know. But the good news, you can know which way you're going. You can know. You can know. You can know. Like right now, maybe you do know, but it's been a while. It's been, this is a rekindling day of where you're going and what you have to look forward to. And, and maybe here you've wondered. You can know. You can know. It's faith in Jesus, right? Hebrews 9.27, and just as as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So there is a judgment, right? You can know. You can still know where you're going. First Timothy 2. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can know. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Then you have peace. Not only do you have peace, but you know to die is gain. To die is gain. Thank you, Bill, for giving us just this much of what we gain, right? The mores and the no mores. And so before we... Uh, take communion. Bill, uh, Lynn, you can come on up. We're going to pray, and we're going to give you a chance. If you don't know where you're going, I encourage you, put your faith in Christ today, here at home, listening later in the week. And maybe you are a believer this morning. But honestly, it's challenging for you because you have not really pondered to die is gain. Maybe the things of the pandemic and the things of your life have actually become to live is blank. And, and you kind of just have lost this really eternal biblical perspective. And maybe this morning God's like, you know what? We're going to stop right now. Maybe you need to confess and ask God's forgiveness for setting your mind on things on the planet rather than things above. And you just need to celebrate. Celebrate that your name is written in the book of life through faith in Christ. Celebrate that whatever happens today, it's so funny, right? We, sometimes we'll say, oh, worst case, you die. I thought that's best case. Words matter. You have to be very careful, right? Because the Apostle Paul says to die is gain. So I don't know why that's worst case. And that's where we sort through how we live and walk based on our theology. It's very important, very important. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. 
thank you, that to, as, as your children, through faith in Jesus, that to die is gain. It's gain. That through faith in Jesus, we have been set free from slavery to the fear of death. Thank you for our brother Bill and, and how you've gifted him and the, the things that he brought forth today from your word about biblical truth, about what we gain, both the mores and the no mores. So thank you for your word. Thank you that truly we can be set free from all the things swirling in our life, all the things swirling in the country, the planet, that, that we can have just incredible joy and peace. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so for those of you who are here, those listening, if, if you're not sure, you know, we kind of have that fun little uh, tombstone story, but, but maybe there are some that don't know which way you're going to go when you die. You can settle that issue right now. And the best way you know how you say, Lord Jesus I believe you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the best way I know how I'm putting my faith in you alone for my salvation, for forgiveness of sins. I believe you were crucified, you died, you rose from the dead. Jesus, I trust you. I trust you not just with my life, I trust you with my eternity. There's no way I could earn it. There's no way I could be good enough. I'm just going to receive. Again, in the best way I know how, by faith, I'm just going to receive the gift of salvation because I'm trusting you alone, Jesus. I do that right now. Please forgive me. I just want to follow you. And if you're a believer already, maybe your prayer as we enter into communion is, Father, forgive me for neglecting the powerful truth that to die is gain. Father, forgive me. I've been consumed with the things of the world. I've been consumed with me, quite frankly. I confess this sin. I ask your forgiveness, Father. And I ask you just powerfully change my heart, change my mind, change my focus. Because, Father, really, I, I want to be able to say to live is Christ and to die is gain and to walk daily in the power of the Holy Spirit according to that truth. So we take communion this morning. The, the cups are in the rows. Lynn's going to lead us in a wonderful song. So take communion in your time after time of reflection and prayer, and then we'll come up and close.